We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Andre Marie coming to you from St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Our websites are catholicism.org and reconquest.net. My email address, if you'd like to shoot me a very brief email with a recommendation, a question, or a comment, is bam at catholicism.org. That's bam at catholicism.org. You can find me on it, The Heresy of Americanism. And my guest is Mr. Steve Cunningham of Census Fidelium and the Resistance Podcast. Brother, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing, I'm doing well. How you doing? Good, I'm well. And for those on my channel, I'm interviewing Brother Andre because he is the genius in this topic, not me. <laughs> well, let's see, let, let, let's see how, how, how genius we actually get. Uh, so in lieu of having an actual genius, I, I, I full heart, full heartily uh, agreed to, to, uh, to take the interview. So this is kind of an interesting thing. It's a it's a it's a resistance podcast slash reconquest uh, amalgamation. So we'll see how this works. Yes, I was telling brother off camera the resistance and then the reconquest. So uh, for yeah. our viewers, you've heard brother before, so now you see him. That's brother who you see on the reconquest podcast that we've done quite a few. They're fantastic, brother. By the way, thank, thank you for all those. Uh, obviously, we haven't done all of them because I need to eat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd be do. I'd be still be doing them all. <laughs> and 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 also, Mike Church would be a little upset if we took all the stuff from Veritas yeah. Network. Yeah, I can't on, do on the panel. Yeah, how many? There's three hundred. Uh, well, this is number two hundred and forty-five. Two forty-five. So yeah. yeah, go to. We'll we'll have all the links below in the show notes. Go check it out. Go check out all his interviews. Uh, I really don't know. You've done a bad one. Even the regular podcast when he's by himself and he's just talking. It's. Uh, very uh, enlightening, and uh, uh, that's what we're trying to do: is to give the Catholics knowledge about the faith, and that's the whole purpose of what we're doing. Great, thanks, Steve. So now, now everybody knows that I have a great face for radio. By the way, <laughs> all of your viewers. No one, no. <laughs> who am I to judge? <laughs> <laughs> that, that that line does come in occasionally handy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So today's topic: Americanism, brother. Uh, I don't know why I didn't think about this before, and we've been doing these news podcasts on my channel, and uh, we talk about it all the time. Just uh, we, folks, brother and I probably chatted text for three or four years. It's the first time actually talking face to face on Zoom, face to face. But Americanism is a great topic. It's one of those that nobody people talk about, but don't really know what it is. Kind of like communism. You hear somebody, oh, that's communistic. Not really. And so you hear, that's Americanist. Well, not really. So, brother, can you line us on what Barry said, Americanism 101, what is it? Well, it was a, it was a, a group of errors, a sort of a constellation of errors that were condemned by Leo XIII in 1899 in an encyclical called Testament of Valencia. And it, basically it was a sort of a, a, a rewrite of Catholicism for the American situation. 
And a lot of some of the errors in it included a downplaying of monasticism, an exaltation of the so-called active virtues over the so-called passive virtues. Leo himself says there's no such distinction, uh, based, basing himself upon St. Thomas's ideas of virtue. He also uh, condemns uh, the idea that that uh, there's this sort of Protestant kind of approach to uh, coming to God, the, the downplaying of, of the of the clergy. Uh, mostly, though, it's it's a set of sort of values that holds up America as the model of the the new religion, a new approach. And he, Leo actually explicitly downplays or explicitly condemns the, the Americanist downplaying of doctrine, that the Americanists uh, took those doctrines which are most sort of offensive to the to the modern world uh, and to the situation in America, and they and they downplayed them. And this, of course, kind of is 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 uh, made it um, kindred to modernism in a way. It had a lot in common with modernism, and a lot of the prominent Americanists who lived beyond the condemnation of Americanism, uh, became some of the early modernists uh, in in America. But not all of them were that sort of doctrinally radical. It really started as a movement among Anglo-American Catholics and Irish-American Catholics who were kind of envious of the the Anglo-Protestant superiority. They had an inferiority complex and they wanted to make uh, Catholicism in America different from Catholicism in Europe. Probably the best place to find the real understanding of, of Americanists that they had of themselves is not to read Testament of Valencia, which is which is great. I'm not I'm not criticizing it. But if you want to know what the Americanists thought themselves, there's a letter. It's a very lengthy letter that was sent by uh, Bishop um, Bishop. Uh, uh, let's see, his name is escaping me right now. Um, there was an, a prominent Americanist bishop who was at one time the uh, rector of the North American College in Rome, and he wrote a a, a letter to Bishop Ireland, who was a, a prominent Americanist then in um, St. Paul, and this is, um, yeah, it was uh, Bishop, um, I'm sorry, John Ireland, of course, there's one in St. Paul, but it's Dennis J. O'Connell, who was the bishop, eventually became bishop of Richmond, Virginia, but he was rector of CUA, of Catholic University of America, but before that, he was the rector of the North American College in Rome, and while he was rector there, he wrote this letter about the the, uh, the the Spanish-American War, right, the 1898 War. And in it, he talks about, in all this extremely insulting, bigoted language, he refer, actually refers to the Mediterranean Catholics as greasers. And he's, he's talking about how the Americans need to go into this war. The Americanists were very much involved in encouraging the uh, Anglo-American alliance and the Anglo-American hegemony that should dominate the world, which at the time was a crazy ambition, but it came to happen. Uh, so uh, if you read that letter of O'Connell to uh, Ireland, where he's basically saying, uh, we have the, the duty to lead the world. We Americans have the duty to lead the world and to bring all that is good and noble and beautiful in America uh, to replace all that's old and ugly and sort of stale and stifled and cramped uh, in old Europe. Uh, it really is an eye-opener. Is that kind of like the whole uh, shining sun, yeah, the, for English-speaking people, the uh, shining star on the hill or 
the new Atlantis yeah. idea. Yeah, well, a, a lot of it's. I mean, it, of course, you know, when the Protestants came here, when the Pilgrims came here, and everything, they 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 had themselves explicitly cast into this sort of Old Testament. Um, um, uh, Jewish kind of light that they were going to come and, and take the promised land and they drive out all the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and all these bad people uh, who were the Indians. And that's why the Anglo-Americans treated the Indians so bad. Uh, but uh, it wasn't quite as radical as that. I mean, there, there was a there was Catholicism there in, uh, with this sort of weird Anglo-American veneer over it for the American as Catholics. And what they what what they had envisioned was basically something great about the American enterprise that it could offer the church. Um, a, a couple of important things to know about them. One, first of all, the the first kind of notable Americanist would have been Father Hecker, and then his disciple Father Eliot. And what occasioned Americanism being condemned was actually a biography of Father Hecker, written by Father Eliot. But it wasn't until it was translated into French with some inflammatory uh, footnotes or introductions, I think it was a preface or an introduction by the translator, that made it most inflammatory. And that got the, the more conservative element in France really upset. And they besought Leo to, to make this condemnation. So Hecker was, the, Hecker was a convert from Protestantism. He became a redemptorist. And there was something about the Redemptorists that he didn't like. Eventually, um, they were mostly Germans. Uh, they, they, they were. There were some others. I think there were some Czechs, but they were mostly from Germany and um, uh, Slavic countries, which had a very long Catholic pedigree and which were very old world. Well, Hecker was a, a, an Anglo Protestant. Um, and his conversion was, you, you, you would hope that it was total, but he was very certainly confused on what you might consider initially peripheral matters, cultural matters. But that really seeped into his religion, too, because he he wanted to downplay the, a lot of the old world aspects of Catholicism. Well, those old world aspects of Catholicism included things that are really part and parcel of the practice of our faith, you know, the monastic life, um, the, the uh, asceticism, uh, a, a rich and vibrant liturgical life, such as the German immigrants in the Midwest um, uh, frequently did have. Uh, a lot of the Irish that came over here had the disadvantage of um, being poor, uh, you know, low mass is sort of their norm, and they didn't have the ability to build these gorgeous churches that the Germans, many of whom came over more affluent, uh, could build. And they weren't into the solemn masses and all that stuff. So there was a downplaying. There was a there was a, a, a will to vernacularize and, and things like that and to sort of appease the Protestants of Anglo-America. There's another thing that needs to be kept in mind, although Hecker was the first real Americanist. When you go when you go back and look at the, the the prelude to Americanism, there was a kind of a spirit that came over on the Ark and the Dove that you know the, the two ships that came from from uh, England, when uh, Lord Baltimore got the uh, uh, ability to be, found this 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 um, colony that that was called Baltimore, uh, called Maryland, uh, I should say, and and with with uh, his his title, Lord Baltimore, being the the capital uh, city. 
Baltimore, Maryland, which was sort of the center of the church in the, in the United States. Um, when he got permission to start this colony from the crown, uh, and he got the uh, deal with the crown whereby the English penal laws weren't enforced. This is, you know, during colonial days, right? So English penal laws were in effect in England and in all of the American colonies, but they weren't going to be in effect in this new colony of Maryland. Uh, so the American, these, these proto-American Catholics, these English Catholics who came over on the two ships, the Ark and the Dove, they ended up uh, landing in, in Maryland. And what happened over time was they had this sort of ethos that was, we're happy to be tolerated. And they didn't work. Now, there were notable exceptions, Father, Father White, the Jesuit, who did evangelize the Indians. But they were, they were happy to be tolerated. They, they weren't extremely evangelical. And eventually what would happen, I think largely because of this, and this is a real morality lesson for us today, because they didn't seriously work to evangelize, eventually all of these Protestants from the Northeast settled in Maryland. And eventually the English penal laws went in force in Maryland. And in fact, the, 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 the Cecil, the, the, the family of uh, the Lord's Baltimore eventually uh, defected to Anglicanism uh, so that the original founders of the colony, their own ancestors, uh, neglected the very practice of the faith. So th this was a, this is a warning to us. If you, you know, it's sort of like kill or be killed. <laughs> and I know that doesn't sound charitable, but if you don't, evangelize, if you don't work to evangelize, you're going to be evangelized, quote unquote, by something else. And um, we, if you're not, it's like this interior life. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. If you're not growing in virtue, well, you're going to be acquiring vice because we have to resist, right? As as I think somebody's podcast. Oh, if the, the salt loses flavor, it's only going to be trodden under over. Yeah. So, so there was this sort of prelude to the American heresy as it really came to be in the late 19th century in early American English Catholicism. I, I, I emphasize that because the French missionaries and the Spanish missionaries are a totally different thing, right? A horse of a different color, if you will. But the, uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that Bishop Carroll, who was the first bishop uh, in the United States, was very much a, a, a new kind of bishop. He agitated for, first of all, he was, he was very much liked by some of the Freemasons who suggested that if you're gonna have a bishop in the United States, it's gotta be this guy. And uh, he liked to be part of the sort of the cool kids club and he hung out with these Freemasons. His own brother, Daniel Carroll, was a Freemason and included among some of his interesting uh, sort of non-Catholic tendencies was one, <laughs> he wanted to vernacularize the liturgy. Okay, as early as the founding years of our republic, he was agitating for a vernacular liturgy. Um, he also had this weird penchant uh, for uh, uh, advancing the cause of Freemasonry by saying when he was asked about Freemasonry by a Catholic who was a Freemason, he said, well, I don't pretend that those uh, decrees against Freemasonry have real authority in my diocese. Now, he's talking about decrees that came from the Roman pontiff. Um, he also uh, had offended Bishop Briand of Quebec by um, going up to Quebec to try to recruit people uh, into the revolution against the British crown, which we can't forget 
that the French Catholics were grateful to the crown for protecting their rights as Catholics in Quebec. Uh, so the, he, he was really um, a, a kind of, a, 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 in a lot of ways, he was an Anglo-American sycophant. And that kind of sycophancy uh, of, the, uh, of the American ecclesiastical establishment for the Anglo-Protestant hegemony in the world that's a theme that continues to this very day. It's a real thing. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, then he and Franklin walk up from uh, Baltimore to uh, Quebec, and the Quebec bishop basically told anybody if they talk to him, you'll be excommunicated. They excommunicated. Yeah. He excommunicated uh, Bishop Carroll. I think the excommunication lifted a decade ago. And that was what Franklin said. Hey, we want this guy to be bishop because the whole trip, he didn't talk one time about religion. Yeah, yeah. Franklin praised him because he didn't talk about religion. Exactly. And 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 there was an excommunication that Bishop Brian issued. I'm not sure of the exact canonical status of the yeah. thing, uh, but but because he was named by the Holy See as the bishop, but um, he did all. He 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 was Bishop Brian, who I think is has a his cause for canonization has been introduced. Bishop Brian also forbade any of his clergy to allow uh, then Father Carroll to offer Mass mm-hmm. in any of the churches in Quebec. So it was a, it, yeah, that just goes to show you what we're dealing with here. As you said, things back then to now, I mean, how many of us bishops even would talk to a politician to become Catholic, i.e., Trump, i.e., name your, you know, politician? Yeah. Um, even making the sign of a cross before prayers just to not, I don't know, how would you say, irritate others? There's a guy, I just saw a news report of the guy downtown Charlotte drives around on a bike every day yelling Jesus saves to people downtown. I go, man, imagine if that we had that kind of fire. See, I know, yeah, I know you guys do that. Yeah, we, we engage in street evangelism. Um, it, it's a, um, well, you know, it's a countercultural thing, and you've got to set your mind in a certain. Um, I mean, you should acquire certain virtues. You have to have a certain disposition. Hey, I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to give the the, the challenging message, and but I have the truth behind me, right? Um, and but but typical of that sort of downplaying of doctrine. I mean, j- just to quote Leo here, so so everybody knows I'm not making this stuff up. Leo says in Testament of Valencia, Pope Leo XIII, says that certain topics of doctrine are passed over as of lesser importance, or they are so softened that they do not retain the same sense as the church has always held. So there is this idea of we soft pedal the religion and we downplay it. And, you know, so stuff like purgatory, um, the sacrificial nature of the mass, uh, the the uh, relics, veneration of relics, invocation of the saints. Uh, you know, it, it, certain things that are done in Europe with devotion to the saints, such as relics and stuff like that, kind of shock Anglo-Protestant sensibilities. And if that's a little bit embarrassing to us Catholics, well, shame on us. We need to we need to man up as Catholics or woman up, as it were, as Catholics, and not worry about offending them because they don't like it. Yeah, I was uh, told on the news show. So I wish the, that the nun, who was a great speech, by the way, I'm just would have said, "I wish all of you would convert to the one true faith, the Catholic yeah. Church, because I want you to all be saved." 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I also wish that she hadn't said that our Lord was conceived in an, of an unwed mother. That, that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I was. I, uh, I've brought up that topic back. quite a few times. I'm still getting backlash from it. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry to cause you cause you back. No, nah, bring it on. It's the uh, we need the yeah. Catholics to be Catholic. That's um, yeah. Kind of like that's what we we do with street evangelization as well. And my my wife told me once once she said let's just stop going after the Protestants and start worrying about the Catholics to get Catholics to be Catholic again. And then you, you know you know Steve talking about evangelism. Yeah, obviously getting Catholics to be Catholics might might that actually might be harder. Um, in theory, it shouldn't be, but I, I think so many Catholics, when you think you're Catholic and you're not, that's the frightening thing, because then you have to convince somebody, well, no, that's actually not Catholic. Uh -huh. uh, at least the non-Catholics uh, who are non-Catholics in name realize they're not Catholics. Right. They have that, they have that advantage. <laughs> uh, but ta talking about evangelism, which I know that's a subject that's very dear to your heart, because, you know, I wear this habit, so when I go out, I have a sort of icebreaker for a conversation. You you go out and you just start talking to people about the religion, which takes a lot of fortitude. It takes a lot of um, uh, chutzpah to quote <laughs> members of another religion. Um, but one of the things that Leo the Thirteenth condemned in Americanism specifically involved evangelism. He can he he says this. He says the way and the plan which Catholics have thus far employed to bring back those who disagree with them are proclaimed to be abandoned and to be replaced by another for the future. So this kind of futurism, this kind of America represents the wave of the future, uh, this is something that has in co common with modernism. You know, uh, people who are lib modern liberals and progressivists make uh, their appeals to the future. Traditionalists make our appeals to the past. Now, it's not to say we live in the past. We should keep an eye on the future in the sense that we want to influence the future to make it better. But we, we as St. Paul says, trotity quidic chepi, right? I, I, I have passed on that which I myself received. That's the notion, notion of tradition. These guys were, were more interested in altering the religion. I mean, you got to give the Americans one thing. They did want to make America Catholic, which is interesting. They wanted to make America Catholic, but their error was that they first wanted to Americanize Catholicism so that America could be Catholicized. And you can't do that. Well, it was more like, a, let's kind of give them a softer version to see if they'll bite and then bring them in type idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, um, Father Hecker, or it was either Father Hecker or Father Elliot, uh, two early Paulists. Uh, one of them said, you know, I, gee, I realized at a certain point that I had been Catholic all my life. Well, really? I mean, what was that thing you did when you renounced heresy and you made a profession of Catholic faith in front of a Catholic priest? Mm -hmm. uh, it's one thing to say that you had maybe seeds of the word. It's one thing, I mean, even pagan philosophers had that. It's one thing to say that there were things that were inching you on to Catholicism and that, you know, maybe you had certain questions when you read the Bible and that, 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 and your answers to them were more Catholic than they were Protestant. But it's another thing to say that I was Catholic all along. Uh, uh, the way that a lot of them spoke of their conversion was as if it was some sort of a lateral move and not going from darkness into light, not going from, you know, take a Joannine outlook on reality. You know, there's darkness and there's light. And yes, that's a black and white view, mm -hmm. but that's the worldview of the fourth gospel, everybody. Mm -hmm. 
um, the darkness did not comprehend it. And if we're looking at the true faith in Jesus Christ as the light of the world, you're either in the darkness or you're in the light. And heresy is darkness. No matter how nice the heretics are, it's still darkness. Um, the Catholic Church has has the light. And, you know, we can say how many truths the Protestant um, religions uh, teach, you know, if they believe in the Trinity or the Incarnation or whatever. And yeah, of course it's true when they say it. It's not a lie just because they say it. But what makes them heretics is where they differ from the Catholic Church, and that can't be overlooked. Um, so th- th- this was a, uh, th- and it got so bad that Leo says it raises a suspicion that there are those among you who envision and desire a church in America other than that which is in all the rest of the world. So that's, I mean, and and it, when you again when you read that letter from um, Bishop. Uh, um, O'Connell to Bishop Ireland, you will see in there this real hubris of basically we're starting a. I said that I may have said O'Connell, uh, O'Donnell. I meant O'Connell. Sorry if I made that mistake. You said O'Connor. Yeah, you said O'Connor. I, I, I mess up these Irish names. I'm, I'm, I don't hate the Irish. I just, I just, I, I get confused with these O's and stuff. So, <laughs> I <laughs> sorry, Mr. Cunningham. I, I really apologize for that. Let me hold it right there, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there was all Leo himself had sent an earlier encyclical before Tessin Benevolentiae, about four years, four or five years earlier. He sent a, a, a document, an encyclical letter called Longinqua Oceani. And one of the things that he said in that, and this is where he, he has this beautiful expression talking about the footprints of the church in America. And he, and he makes this beautiful little hat tip in it to all of the uh, foreign missionaries who had come to, to uh, the new world to evangelize it. And he says how wonderful this is. You know, keep in mind, this is a man who also wrote an encyclical praising Christopher Columbus uh-huh. uh, because he had brought the faith to the new world. So uh, he, he very much loved the church in America, uh, b- but he said, and he gave a gentler warning in Longinqua Oceani than he, had give, than he gave later in Testament of Valencia, uh, even though Testament of Valencia was somewhat diplomatic in its wording. Now, in Longinqua Oceani, he's, he's, he warns Americans to say, you know, be grateful for what you've got. Be grateful for your freedoms to practice your faith but don't fall into the error of thinking that the american ideal of religious liberty is the catholic ideal don't fall into that error so what he was seeing was that uh, he was seeing american priests american bishops thinking that this is the cat's meow you know this new anglo-american venture whereby we have uh, a free church and a free state and there's not this union of throne and altar, and we don't have this concept of Christendom, whereby uh, the the civil power and the ecclesiastical power are so complementary to one another and involved in each other. Uh, this is a this is an advantage. This is a good thing. They were proposing religious liberty along American lines as the ideal, and Leo said, "Uh-uh, no, it's not." Now, in, in saying that, of course, he was only reiterating in a more specific way what Blessed Pius IX had said in condemning um, uh, liberalism, because what a lot of people don't realize is our modern notion of religious liberty 
has been condemned by the church under the name of liberalism. That's what liberalism is in the Catholic lexicon. It's not being a Democrat. Could you explain just that? The heir has no rights. What do you, what do you mean by religious liberty? Do we have, I mean, back in the, I've heard before that like in Spain and France, mainly Spain, Protestants couldn't go out and preach in the, in the, in public. Yeah. Only Catholic, only Catholics could do that. Now, I think J Dubs do that out there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, and by the way, that that was and that was something that the CIA uh, actually worked to make happen. Believe it or not, and that's not some crazy conspiracy theory. It's documented. Uh, David Wemhoff's wonderful book on John Courtney Murray, uh, Time Life, and the American. Uh, the American uh, experiment, I forget the full name of it. That book uh, uh, really is illuminating. He's, and he's using all kinds of information he got from freedom of access uh, requests and, 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 and uh, you know, special scholarly libraries and so forth. Um, but the, yeah, the fundamental idea of Catholic social teaching vis-a-vis -vis the church and the state is that the uh, the Catholic religion is to be given the pride of place. Uh, the Catholic religion is, once it's the religion of the people, the state itself, and actually even before it's the religion, the state as a moral person. So what's a moral person? A moral person is a group of people who come together for some common end, right? We've got, you, you know, you and I were physical persons. You know, we have, a, we have an actual natural uh, personhood that we each have. But if you and I come together and, and, and form a, a club, right? Sort of the the the, the reconquest resistance club, R and R. Uh, yeah, the R and R. Uh, then we're, you know you can say that we're a moral person in as much as we're acting together for some common end. Uh -huh. Well, the state is is um, more than an ordinary moral person. It's not quite what the church is, which is a perfect society, but the state uh, is close. And in a lot of respects, it has what it needs to be called the perfect society, but it's not complete. Uh, so the state is a moral person. And as a moral person, it has certain obligations. It has certain duties. And one of those duties is to honor God. And one of those duties is to discern and to discover and to profess the truth about God, including whatever truth about him might be supernaturally revealed. So the state doesn't have the luxury to be neutral in matters of religion. Now, of course, when you're in a non-Catholic state, it's a disadvantage to Catholics to say this, uh, because there, you know, you end up being under the England of the, of the persecuting uh, Anglican Church or something. But the fact is that the traditional teaching of Christendom is that when you're in Christendom, the state has a duty to, to safeguard, to, to protect, to advance the cause of religion, because it has it has a duty to glorify God and to work for the salvation of souls. Uh, the, so Leo knew this. Leo, you know, this is the traditional teaching of the church, uh, and this is what he would have advanced. But unfortunately, uh, you know, the clergy in the United States at the time, many of them, not all, certainly not all. In fact, there were notable exceptions, some of whom should be mentioned by name, at least one, Bishop Bernard McQuaid, who founded what they call The Rock, which is the seminary um, in uh, upstate New York. Uh, it's it's uh, the, he, he named it, let's see, what's the name of that seminary? I, I think St. Bernard's. I think it's St. Bernard's Seminary. 
Um, and he, he, his name was Bernie McQuaid. And um, he was a tough guy and he was very anti-Americanist. And he specifically founded his seminary as an alternative to Catholic University of America. Because as I said before, Bishop O'Connell Mm-hmm. was at one time rector of Catholic University of America. Catholic University of America was a hotbed for Americanism. And many of the bishops, many of whom were Irish, by the way, some of whom were German, uh, who reacted against Americanism, uh, they were fighting CUA. They were fighting Catholic University of America. Yeah, you're thinking of a Monsignor John Ryan, for example, that went after Fulton Sheen and uh, really pushed the New Deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They called him the Right Reverend New Dealer. Yeah, yeah. Monsignor and, and, New Deal. Yeah, all kinds of names yeah. for him. Yeah, the 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 yeah, and and by the way, the the, the this penchant of the American uh, uh, the American clergy, many of many of the bishop episcopacy for big government, it goes back at, at least to Gibbons and Wilson. So, and it's very interesting because it's so telling. It's a cautionary tale when you look at Gibbons and Wilson. Wilson was an extremely bigoted anti-Catholic. He hated the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. He's on record for saying that we'll never get anywhere in the Philippines until we get rid of all of the religious orders. Uh, he worked against Catholic interests everywhere. And of course, he was personally responsible for dismantling the last Catholic empire, whose head of state was blessed Karl von Habsburg. Yeah. So uh, this man was extremely anti-Catholic and uh, hated Catholics and hated Catholicism, but he had this idea that the Anglo-Americans should form an alliance, the English and the Americans should form an alliance and we'll rule the world. And this is what World War I was largely about. And after World War I, of course, he remaps Europe uh, and creates these impossible states that are amalgamations of different people. And of course, everything sets the stage for World War II, right? For the Nazis and the commies to divide Europe all up. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, he created this vacuum when he destroyed these empires and including the last Catholic empire. Mm-hmm. But Wilson had personal contempt for Catholic bishops. But if you read the correspondence between Gibbons, Cardinal Gibbons and Wilson, Gibbons was an utter sycophant. He was an utter sycophant to Wilson. He was a real bootlicker. And one time when he actually appeared to speak to uh, President Wilson, uh, Wilson didn't even invite him to sit down. He dispatched with him in a a few minutes and sent him away. Mm -hmm. And the 83-year-old Cardinal Gibbons was actually shaken when, Mm -hmm. when, when this happened. And he complained to Bishop Ireland and Bishop Ireland said, well, he wouldn't do the same thing to me, only to have exactly the same thing happen to him when he went to go meet. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so this. So, but, but all the while, they were defending the big government, war machine, big statism, uh, uh, lots of uh, international wars to sort of impress this uh, Anglo-American hegemony on the world, because this is our destiny. And you can see it in that letter I keep referring to, uh, to Bishop Ireland from Bishop Dennis J. O'Connell that talks about the greasers. Uh, and this is back in 1898, again, during the Spanish-American War. So you're dealing with a, a, a sycophantic uh, sort of uh, um, almost envious, they were envious of the, of the Anglo-American power. 
and they wanted to sort of tap into that. Um, that that's what we had largely for, for, for bishops, at least among the Americanists. And this was a very unhealthy spirit. Now, you had a lot of people who were not part of that, we, people with a real Catholic spirit and a real evangelical spirit, mm -hmm. and they stand out in stark contrast. Yeah, I think of Frank Sheed, who's preaching in the middle of New York City in Central, uh, was Central Park or or, uh, or the, ah, shoot, where was it? Uh, it was one of the big areas in New York City. Yeah, I'm not sure where he went in New York, but he would speak publicly in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you had other, you know, you had great uh, missionaries from overseas uh, who would come here. And, you know, you had great American, you had American lay apostles who were going around. Uh, you had in New England, you had way back in colonial days, you had Father Thayer, who was a, you know, whose family came over on the Mayflower. You had the Belgian Father Neerings in Kentucky. They call him the, the bluegrass apostle. Um, you, you had Fa Blessed uh, Francis Xavier Salos, who worked in Maryland and various other places and ended up dying in my own natal city of New Orleans, where his, his relics are in this gorgeous reliquary in a church in the Irish Bayou section of, of New Orleans. <laughs> So you had you you had the redemptors, by the way. You had a bunch of really good redemptors. Of course, we have to mention Saint John Nepomuchin Neumann, who was a contemporary of Blessed Francis Xavier Salos. These are the quality of men, the redemptors, that the Paulists sort of rebelled from and didn't want to be part of that. So there were notable, notable, notable exceptions on the other side. I, I named them earlier, uh, Bishop Bernie McQuaid mm -hmm. um, of, um, I think it was, uh, forgetting which diocese it was, um, was it Ogdensburg? I, I don't know if it was Ogdensburg. That's the most nor northern bish uh, bishopric in, uh, in New York. I think it was Rochester, actually, Rochester, New York. So you had really good uh, exceptions to this, but... Um, who opposed the doctrinal errors. And, you, and I think one thing that you didn't get enough of in America to offset it was monasticism. Because mm -hmm. frankly, that's one of the real answers to the Americanist errors, is monasticism. Because they had this idea, look, we're building a church, it's a new country. We need people to do active things. So they had all these teaching sisters, they had these nursing sisters, they had uh, teaching brothers, there were a lot of, there was a secular clergy, but there was generally a downplaying of monasticism. Now, you ended up, though, getting the Trappists coming here and various Benedictine groups coming here and, and, and even uh, Carmelites. And what we're seeing now, right now, Steve, is an explosion of, of uh, Carmels that are traditional. Mm -hmm. Right? In this right, country. Right. You know some of them. But even the Benedictines in the Gower. The Benedictines in Gower, exactly. Um, and and this is one of the th remedies to Americanism, because the r big error of Americanism was this divide, aside from the political stuff and aside from the um, the sort of the, the, the idea that the church in America is going to be new and something different than the church in Europe, uh, one of the big errors is this downplaying of the interior life, the downplaying of monasticism, the downplaying of penance and vows, and uh, at the expense, all of that was set aside to advance the so-called active virtues. So we're a country that focused on building, 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 building. In this diocese, in the Manchester, New Hampshire diocese, there was a bishop named Bishop Brady. And, and Bishop Brady was one of the early bishops of, New of, of Manchester, New Hampshire. 
and he was called Brady the Builder. So this, why? Because he built hospitals and schools and parishes galore. But this is what was going on. And unfortunately, what happened? Uh, it wasn't much later that all of those buildings got emptied of people because I don't think they found the, 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 the most important thing, which was the interior life of the faithful. It was a very superficial uh, brand of religion that was being taught. And Americanism is incredibly superficial. It's an incredibly superficial religion. I've heard that before. The te we, great, we have all these teaching religions coming up, but they, the interior lives were so bad that they basically just was teaching poorly. Not poorly, I guess, but teaching enough air to kind of squash what could have been yeah. done. And by the way, of course, I, I'm a teacher myself. I mean, we have a school. I, I'm not against teaching. I'm not against teaching sisters. I'm not against, um, you know, anybody. Uh, you know, I bring them on. You know, the De La Salle brothers, the 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 the, the Xavier and brothers, the Holy Cross brothers, uh, and priests, and the the various groups of sisters. It's wonderful. I come from New Orleans, and it's like a, you know, in the old days, it was like a tropical aviary with all of these religious women in different habits <laughs> walking around. Um, but, th th and th that's a great thing, but don't get rid of your Carmelites. Don't get rid of your mm -hmm. cloistered Benedictines. Don't, uh, don't get rid of your Dominican nuns, you know? Don't do that because without that, you, the church doesn't have an interior, you know? And I'm not to, not to say that active religious don't pray, they have to. Otherwise, they, they leave. They lose their vocation. They lose their internal internal spirit. There is this thing called the soul of the apostle, like that book says. Heard of it. But a wonderful book. Wonderful book. And it was written by a Trappist. Um, but you know, when you when you when you do away with the cloistered form of the religious life, you lose so much of the Catholic life. And also another thing, and this is one of the great things about the current um, permutation of the traditionalist movement in America, it's becoming more and more liturgical. Mm -hmm. uh, this is another thing that was downplayed, solemn masses and processions and you know long ceremonies. Well, my goodness, why do you need all that music and why do you have to have all that chant? And you know, the, the melismas and the chant take too long. Just sing a good old hymn and, and, and then, you know, be done with it. That, that was part of the American spirit as well. This minimalization of the church's sacred rites, uh, which is why, you know, th there's that book, I don't know if you ever read it, but it's called Why Catholics Can't Sing. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because it talks about this um, uh, downplaying of the liturgical life that was kind of traditional mm -hmm. in America, tra tradition with a small T, obviously. Um, but now we're recapturing a lot of that stuff. And I think we're laying the foundations of a genuine renaissance in Catholic life here in America. And I know some people might think I'm nuts for saying that, but trust me, it is being built. Well, especially with the uh, COVID-1984 rubrics and <laughs> a lot of people are flocking to, hey, who, where can we go? And it's really the diocese traditional priests that are open because they understand the meeting of souls or the traditional yeah. orders that the people are flying to because they're the only ones open. You know, they're courageous enough to know that they're not going to die. Bodies aren't in the street. And their numbers are up. Their donations are up. Everything's sky high. So in a way, it's growing because of this. Yeah, I think I think so. I think, and, and by the way, that that keep in mind what I said before about the Americanist penchant for sycophancy towards the Anglo-American establishment. 
Well, we're seeing it with the with the with the bishops who are promoting the masks. You know, the, it's like the, a new Catholic sacramental now. Oh yeah, well, um, along with hand sanitizer. Uh, what's what's the prayer to bless hand, oh, uh, hand sanitizer? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, th- this is nuts, and and I think there's a certain sense in which people see in in authentic traditional Catholicism because we believe in this in, in faith and reason. You know, being joined. Uh, we don't fall for every stupid thing that comes down the pipeline of our betters in the Anglo-American establishment. You know, we, we don't think just because the Rockefeller Foundation spun it out that it's necessarily a good thing or the Gates Foundation. Um, the, those same people that were running things back, you know, in the 19th century, a lot of those same families, they're still around and they're still causing problems. Past this prologue. And, they never was that past this prologue <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is it's a real prologue and that, and and we're dealing with it now there's a there's a mass stupidity uh, among the, the people that have been um sort of socially conditioned they become cultural conformists and if you want to know what is the real modern um you might say what what is our patrimony of americanism what have we inherited today from the americanists of the past I would say it's this utter craving cultural conformism on the part not only of the clergy, upper clergy, lower clergy, but also of all of the Catholic faithful. Mm -hmm. And you see it in a family like the Kennedys, who uh, certainly downplayed everything controversial and different about Catholicism, so that you would end up getting something that was agreeable to the dominant culture in which they found themselves. Speak of the Houston speech. Yeah, absolutely. That was an exercise in practical Americanism. Absolutely, where he where he he assured a room full of Baptist ministers that his Catholicism would have nothing to do with with the way he ran the country. I think he even said he would he'd quit before he even did that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is the the ascendancy of of that family. Now, keep in mind that there was there was when when old Joe uh, uh, Kennedy the the the. Um, the booze runner from Canada, right? He made a lot of money uh, illegally during Prohibition. When old, old Joe Kennedy thought that you know he was going to get one of his sons in the White House, he wanted to make peace with the Wasps. This is at a time when Catholics were still sort of ghettoized in Boston. And a lot of Catholics have pejoratives, a lot of Catholics in Boston have pejoratives for the kind of Catholic who was a cultural conformist and a sycophant towards the Anglo-American uh, establishment? What we call here in New England uh, the Blue Bloods, the Boston Blue Bloods. You know, these are the Freemasonic families, the uh, the, the pe- people like um, uh, oh, well, uh, let's see, uh, what was his name? The um, the Jesuit came from the famous Jesuit Avery Dulles, right? Dulles, yeah. So, so his uncle, his dad, were big in uh, the federal government, right? With the founding of the CIA and all this stuff. Well, uh, these it was families like that uh, that kind of ran things in New England at the time. And you had you had others. You had the um, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the people like the Rockefellers, families like that, really connected families, Harvard families. Mm-hmm. Uh, members of the Porcellian Club, and and if they went to Yale, well, they were members of the Skull and Bones. These are the people who thought that the rest of us uh, are just basically visitors in in America. Yeah, we're not and, on their team. 
we are not on their team. I mean, they'll use us uh, when they need us, but we're not on their team. Well, uh, Joe Joe Kennedy wanted his kids to get get advanced into high office. Maybe one of them would become president one day. And he realized I have to make my peace with the wasps. Uh -huh. And by the way, uh, uh, j just to touch upon it, this is one of the factors behind the whole condemnation uh, of Father Feeney. Behind the whole, not not anything beyond the mere local stuff that happened in Boston. Uh -huh. but Cardinal Cushing, who was a, a, a an Americanist to the T, Cardinal Cushing loved the idea that Kennedy would get you know in the White House. And he didn't like the fact that there was this crazy Irish priest running around telling everybody you have to be Catholic. And that did not sit well, especially when a bunch of children of Boston Blue Bloods were actually converting. And you had prominent Freemasons whose kids are becoming Catholics. That was not, that's so contrary to the American spirit. So that was not what you... Destroys the First Amendment. Yeah, yes, exactly. So there are certain things that we hold to be sacrosanct as Americans that aren't at all sacrosanct, but there are certain things that we hold as as Catholics that are sacrosanct that the Americanists sort of wanted to ditch. And I think that's the that that's the the, the, the takeaway that we have to be integral Catholics, and um, whatever is not in conformity with that has to be corrected. That's not to say that we hate the country. I mean, I think, I think we should mention, Steve, that there is, a, there is an overreaction in some circles against Americanism to the point where people actually hate America and they'll, you know, sit down and, you know, step on the flag or something like that. Well, that's never been the Catholic way. Leo XIII said, it, when, even when he was criticizing uh, the, the uh, American Constitution as not the ideal for a Catholic state, uh -huh. Even though, even when he was criticizing it, he did say that it was an orderly republic. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so now, if you're a monarchist like 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 I am, and sort of my friends, you don't you don't think that that's the the, the greatest value in the world. But Leo um, saw some value in it, and I and and again, I'm you know we, we don't need to be American exceptionalists and say it's the greatest country ever to love it, and if we love it, we work for its conversion. Right, and patriotism. You know, this is the thing about American patriotism is, for, for us, America is an idea. And that's all wrong. That's not how a country is supposed to be. A country isn't an idea. A country is people. <laughs> a country is a culture that those people share. And it begins in the family. And it, it radiates out to the local community. And then, you know, to the town or city or state. And then finally to this massive thing that's really big enough to be a large empire. The United States of America. Um, you you love it because you love your family. You love it because you love your neighbors. You don't love an abstraction, mm -hmm. and you don't love a piece of paper. You know, the worship of the Constitution, I think, is very ill-advised. Uh, even, I mean, I'm not saying we should trash it. By the way, um, it, it, it stands in a certain sense. It stands between us and chaos. But um, we, 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 as Catholics, we respect law and we respect order. But we should realize, even if it's not our ideal, the reason we love the country is because it's our country. It's like the reason you love your father is because it's your father, not because he's the greatest dad in the world, mm -hmm. but because he's your father. And, you know, there's this fourth commandment thing that God gives us. So uh, we have to love our country. And if you love it supernaturally, you want to share your faith with it. You want to evangelize it. And you brought up teaching orders, a republic, Leo... Pius the Ninth.
and I think of some guy in Ecuador in the state of e- the state of Ecuador, Garcia Moreno, who it, Leo called the greatest Catholic government ever, and Pius IX called him a a, a martyr. But what did he do? He brought in the teaching orders. Yeah, he the, did. He did. He basically kicked out all the Protestants. And he was actually for a lot of modern progress. He built roads. I yes. Mean, he, did, he did a lot of things in Ecuador that Ecuador needed. Um, but his motto it really encapsulates a true proper Catholic idea of freedom. He said, freedom for everyone and everything except evil and evildoers. I got it on the back of my car. <laughs> That's, that's, yeah, you probably, do you ever get your car, you know, keyed at a, at a parking lot? Yeah, you should have seen the Planned Parenthood one I had. That, 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 that got some looks. <laughs> you know, we have to cultivate, I think, the spirit of Arrestus Brownson. Arrestus Brownson was a guy who went to a, a restaurant in New England. Now, he's a convert, right, from, from, mm-hmm. from um, Presbyterian, well, actually, from every form of Protestantism there was because he kept hopping around. But uh, finally, he ended up a transcendentalist. But he converted to Catholicism. And and when he heard the Pope, I think at the time it was Leo, it was uh, Pius the Ninth, I think, saying that Catholics should be more militant in their public profession of their faith. Arrestus Brownson uh, got hopped right on that bandwagon. And one day it was a Friday. He was traveling in New England, which is deeply Protestant, especially at that time in the 19th century. And he he's he's looking at the menu of the restaurant in this inn that he's staying in. And there's nothing that he can eat for, for fish. Everything's meat, right? All the entrees are meat. So he bangs his enormous paw on the table and makes a racket. And he shouts, you know, he's a lion of a man, you know, big beard and all that, big, huge frame. And he says, is there nothing in this establishment that a Christian can eat on a Friday? <laughs> and, uh, and believe it or not, the waiter, you know, runs, you know, he's all a titter, runs back into the back room and, and uh, they, they found fish. <laughs> They cooked him some fish. I think of a uh, Sheen's when he's on. I think he was on a plane or something. And back when you could actually eat on a plane, and he yeah. says something. I'll have the sandwich. And the guy says, oh, "I can't remember if he's on a plane or a restaurant." Well, that's no good today. Well, I'll have this, but that's not good today. He finally figures out it's Friday. Oh, I mean, the waiter would help him out. Uh-huh. Imagine a priest doing that today. He's, oh yeah, you want the steak? Well, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've 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 heard of uh, steak dinners in rectories on Friday nights. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we go. New- I mean, Mar- Garcia Moreno again. He he was in correspondence with Pius the Ninth. Just yeah. what should I do? Pray for me. Back of imagine he was president. Even though Our Lady yeah. of Keith, Our Lady of uh, Good Success, you know, basically proclaimed that that would happen. But imagine we get a president like that, a governor. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, I mean, we had Engelbert Dolphus in Austria who did something similar. He, uh-huh. he had a private jet. He was a pilot, and he would, or a private, pri- private plane, and he would fly it to Rome to consult with Pius XI uh, to, to, to show him his plans for Austria. And, of course, the Nazis whacked him off uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but, yeah, we, we could get the same thing in the United States. But, but Steve, we have to evangelize first. You right. can't have Catholic government. So right. have Catholic, Catholics. What, is it true that the Second Vatican Council was the one that pushed Americanism globally? Um, well, that's an arguable point. I would say, in effect, yes, um, but it, not necessarily in um, 
Yeah. Whether it's in the documents or not is is, is right. Right. Not in the documents. Yeah. Certainly in its effect because of John Courtney Murray, who who was one of the ones who reinterpreted the council afterwards. But I mean, John Courtney Murray was one of the Pariti at Vatican II. Um, he had been in, in ill repute with the church prior to that. Right. Um, there was an enormous uh, fight in the Catholic press and the scholarly Catholic press in the United States um, during the. Uh, 40s and mostly 50s involving John Courtney Murray and uh, Monsignor uh, Butch, as he was known, Fenton, Monsignor Fenton. Um, and uh, Fenton was defending the traditional Catholic social teaching. Murray was uh, pushing this new social teaching, which again goes back to the Americanist ideal of what was it? Well, uh, freedom, freedom of religion. You know, there, there's uh, Americans are free to profess a religion, so is everybody else. Uh, and and the, the condemnation of the idea that in a Catholic state, uh, false religions cannot propagate themselves or have public cults. You know, this is something that's part of Catholic tradition, and this is a how this was what was being lived in Spain and Italy and other places in the Catholic world, Latin America. Well, there was a concerted effort on the part of some American business interests, believe it or not, uh, and some American, uh, you know, liberal Catholic interests, their, their interests intersected. So once again, you have the Anglo sort of WASP establishment um, uh, in cahoots with this fifth column within the church, and that fifth column in the church was largely Jesuit. Um, John Courtney Murray, uh, Gustav Weigel, uh, these guys. And what they did was they helped to uh, advance the cause of, of Americanism again is sort of rejuvenated Americanism in the church by way of altering the church's social teachings and that was their goal at the council now whether they succeeded in that goal or not is is another question but uh, I mean uh, Michael Jones says they didn't succeed <laughs> um, but you know uh, and, and Monsignor Fenton thought that the documents were, didn't officially teach error but of course, he wasn't happy with them either because of the ambiguities that that he saw in them. Um, so it was it was uh, it, it, if it wasn't a complete victory for the Americanists, it wasn't a complete victory for um, Monsignor Fenton or Cardinal Ottaviani or any of the other ones who were trying to to defend Catholic tradition. But that's how Americanism uh, kept going. I mean, you know, they had that book, uh, uh, "The Rhine Flows Into the Tiber." Uh -huh. Well, I've heard people, my superior, it's got a new title now. They could call it the Mississippi flows into the time yeah, because yeah. because a lot of the influencers there were Americans, including Murray. What are some practical ways to I don't know erode that from people's mindset? I guess is the best way to ask. Uh, change you got to change your mindset based on this. That the whole air has no rights. People don't like evangelizing because everyone thinks that oh it's. The flavor of the month, or the NS, the Major League Baseball team. Hey, Catholics are the Yankees, uh, Pro, uh, Lutherans are the Red Sox. You know what I mean? It just goes down the list. How do we get that mindset that there's one and the rest are basically not that one? Yeah, well, St. Paul says, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be reformed in the newness of your mind. It's got to start in your mind. I realize I'm pointing to my brain, which is an organ, but the mind, which is super organic, that's where the change starts. And how are you going to do that? Well, I mean, there are great sources for Catholic tradition here. And the thing is, these books are all accessible now. I mean, if somebody wants to, um, 
you know, one of the things I would recommend is people read Dom Guerin's liturgical year. Mm -hmm. I know you're familiar with it. Why do I say that? Because Dom Guerin's liturgical year isn't just a commentary on the liturgy for the, the sanctoral cycle and the annual cycle of Christ mysteries. It's, it's a whole library of Catholic erudition. And he's got a lot of the church's social teaching in there. Every time he comes a, a, a upon a, a king saint, he generally has something to say about politics mm -hmm. and not politics in the sense in which it's used in electoral politics in modern uh, uh, republics and democracies, but politics in the sense of how a society ought to be governed. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dom Guéranger is great at dealing with those questions in the context of a life of a saint. Um, or in, in the context of something else, like he might even be talking about Christ before Pilate, and then he goes on to a, he goes from something profoundly, deeply spiritual uh, to something very practical in the social order, and he shows you how it is all of a piece, and that's the thing. The Catholic, the Catholic faith is a beautiful, you know, seamless garment, right? I mean, Cardinal Burton he took that and did horrible things with it. Mm -hmm. But the true seamless garment is is Catholic doctrine. Uh, you know, it's all of a piece. And when we look at the social teaching in in the context of the church's liturgy, and we when we look at it in the context of the lives of the saints, and we will look at evangelism in the context of the lives of the saints, and see how they did it and what they did, well to me that helps to bring that newness to your mind that saint paul's talking about so we realize okay well we don't have to reinvent the wheel we have these we have these um precursors these people this cloud of witnesses over our heads to use another pauline image um who who can tell us how to do this stuff and of course we have to apply it in our modern setting obviously i'm not nobody's going to sit here and pretend that we live in the middle ages Nobody's going to pretend that we live in the Renaissance at the Baroque era during the Counter-Reformation. You, you and I are using this technology here that's very modern, you know? <laughs> We're not trying to communicate through an abacus. Um, so, but you take what they did and you say, well, how do we apply that in our modern situation? And you know what? People are doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're doing it. Other people are doing it. And it, and it works. You get converts. Yeah, even... Uh not to say the COVID-1984 thing again, but during uh, Holy Week, we had 100,000 people watch the pre-55 Holy Week. Protestants alike with Catholics who've never seen a, a solemn high mass. Uh, Protestants are going, what is this? Catholics yeah. are even saying what it is, just drawn to the beauty of what they saw. Even in, uh, I just went through, in, te in Tenebrae, even Tenebrae, we had a 10, 15,000 people watching amazing yeah i mean this is this is how god works good out of evil right so uh it was evil that people couldn't go to these ceremonies in person the way they're meant to be but the fact is if the if that got people who never who would never had had an occasion to see it exposure to it and exposure to the truth of the catholic faith and its beauty you know we have to realize you know you got these three transcendentals that we talk about truth beauty and goodness mm -hmm. not everybody has the same entree into the church not everybody's going to be convinced by a book of Catholic apologetics, but but the goodness of the lives of the saints, for instance, um, that can convince people. You know, I know somebody who's converted by reading about Saint Therese. Uh, you know, th these kind of things can move people to conversion, or the beauty of the liturgy, the beauty of 
uh, Tenebrae or Vespers or, you know, Compline. Mm -hmm. You know, these things do have an attraction to them. And God's grace works through people's uh, individual um, temperaments and, and mindsets and so forth. But the thing is, we just need to do this stuff to bring people in proximity with the faith instead of being embarrassed about it, you know? Yeah, that's it. Everyone's, uh, we'll use this example, everything that's going on. People are not afraid to go out there, especially on social media, and give their two cents about what's going on in the world. But do you see anybody talking about, hey, you must, you know, you should become Catholic because X, Y, Z. Invite them to Mass. Uh, give them a rosary. We were at the, we were at a hospital the other day, and the, the lady was talk, uh, saw my wife's rosary, and uh, she started asking, are you Catholic? We ended up giving her a miraculous medal. Have a miraculous medal on hand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, St. Maximilian Kolbe called the miraculous medals his bullets. And he said something interesting. He said anybody that accepts a miraculous medal, to the degree that he's accepted it, he, in, in that little degree, he has accepted the queenship of Mary over himself. Now, we don't know what it's going to lead to eventually. But, you know, we in our evangelistic work, we've had people contact us and say, I'm Catholic now, you know. Yeah. So we, we spread our Catholic books and we also give away uh, Catholic sacramentals. And a lot of it's nudging Catholics to get back to, to Mass, get back to confession. And um, the interesting thing is what happens is when we walk into a place, a public place, wearing our habits with Catholic books and Catholic uh, sacramentals, this occasions conversations and people you know people are interested in religion a lot of people say well you know nobody cares about this stuff no it's quite to the contrary anybody who thinks that is probably living his life in an ivory tower or never bothers to talk religion with people you start a religious conversation in public you're going to get people nosing in at the very least they're going to be eavesdropping right and um you can actually converse with people and and get them to talk about religion and why not why not engage everybody has reason right everybody has the faculty of reason not everybody uses it well but when they're not catholics you can make certain appeals to them and right now the country is going to hell in a handbasket and we need catholic moral teaching the united states of america has absolutely no chance no chance at all to go back to the eisenhower years we can't go back to that weird amalgam where Catholics and Protestants and Jews sort of agreed on a lot of the bigger uh, moral uh, questions. That That is not something we're going to go back to. It's impossible. Why? Because all the Protestant sects hit the pedal to the metal and became completely nuts on moral teachings as well as doctrinal teachings. You know, they keep, we went even further from us. Um, and, um, you know, ditto for, for the Jews as far as moral teachings, except for some, you know, certain uh, Orthodox or Hasidic sects or something. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But for, by and large, that, that sort of American synthesis that you had in Eisenhower's years, where everybody kind of had this general agreement on a lot of moral questions, that's gone and it cannot be revived. And that, in a way, that's providential because right now, America needs the Catholic Church's moral teachings just to survive. How are you gonna get decent race relations? Well, forget race and look at the one thing that can unify man. And it's not the Constitution, and it's not the Star Spangled Banner, and it's not even Donald Trump. 
the one thing that's that's capable of uniting men is the mystical body of Christ because it's a supernatural, supranational organization. And it has the, the grace and the interior power to unite men into, into an actual union of charity, right? Not just national uh, fellowship, but theological charity based upon faith, right? So without that, America, I think, is doomed uh, because she's not going to get over this. She's not going to return to, um, you know, what she once was when you had this sort of mere Christianity that was the common religion in America. You're not going to get it. It's gone. And in a way, and I'm not saying that's a, well, it, it is a good thing because it, it's creating a situation where Catholics are going to have to rise to the occasion and say, all right, even just to save the social order, we have to give our, our countrymen the faith. Kind of like know, a reconquest. <laughs> yeah, a, a reconquista. Yeah, you resist, and then we launch the reconquest. Yeah, think of da Dagger John's quote about uh, we're supposed to convert literally everybody, the Navy, the Army, the Congress, the presidency, you name it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and that that, that was you're talking about the bishop of of uh, New York, New York, right? Yeah, and, and and he was you know he fought the know nothings, right? This is a guy who had some some fortitude, and this is something that we need to uh, to, to to emulate, you know, instead of this quiet sort of tamped down, um, inoffensive sort of Catholicism. That's got to go. Amen to that, brother. Appreciate it. Hey, can you give everybody your website and? Uh... Uh, some uh, things about it in the store, like MP3s, etc., to learn more about the faith. Oh, okay, yeah. Catholicism.org is our website, and we have a store that's attached to it, store.catholicism.org, and you can get MP3s on whole courses of philosophy, scripture. Um, there's a lot of books, um, and there are. we just added Dr. Krasnevsky's new book on the liturgy today. Uh, uh, so that's good. So you <laughs> can, you can but you can download lots of stuff that I've, given uh, lots of lectures that i've given but also my mentor brother francis um he 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 was a great lecturer in philosophy and you can find that there too pretty much the best philosophy course i've ever heard so yeah, check it out it's we'll have the show notes in the, with the link in the show notes below and brother again appreciate you I appreciate thank you steve appreciate you very much <laughs> and all the good work you do god Ta bless you yes sir